This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Give your kitchen the upgrade it deserves with Clearview Cabinetry. Clearview Cabinetry starts as a kitchen built for now and grows with you as life changes. It's flexible by design with full access cabinet construction. So you can go from doors to drawers for storage that works when you need it. Get an appointment-free design consultation and explore all our cabinet options on display in our kitchen showroom. And save big money now at Menards. Save big money at Menards. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Hey everyone, this is Jade Alicia from Get Hard with Jade Alicia on Jay Scott's podcast, The Hook, the ultimate rock community podcast, where we talk old rock, new rock, and everything in between. Good evening. What's going on? What's shaking, everybody? It is Jay Scott, and it's another episode of The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope things are doing okay for you out there. I know things are just terrible in terms of the numbers for COVID and what's going on. I think we're in that Thanksgiving surge that they talked about, and whether you want to deny it or believe it, you know, it's happening. So all I can tell all of you is be safe these upcoming holidays and try to stay healthy you know do your social distancing wear your mask do what you need to do I know for my family you know we've made an agreement that we're going to self-quarantine here before Christmas so we can enjoy Christmas together unlike Thanksgiving where we didn't we were unable to do that So 
But you got to do what you got to do. You know, the numbers are not going to go down unless you start taking part in helping the cause and helping get rid of this. And hate to say it, and it's not meant to be political, but the more you dismiss things, it will continue to be what it is. And that new normal that you were hoping to avoid, the new normal will be here because of dismissing what people are telling you what you need to do. That will become the new normal. So if you don't so if you want that normalcy back, you've got to do things for a short period of time and sacrifice some things and just do it. Let's just put it behind us so we can go to rock shows next year. So we can enjoy concerts, we can enjoy being in each other's presence without having to worry about breathing on each other. That's what we're going to have to do. So please, please do what uh, do what the experts are asking us to do. Nonetheless, I'd like to welcome in our next guest, an individual that I'd, I've been wanting to have on the show for a while, but just due to scheduling, it's been una- unable to happen until now. I'd like to welcome in from Nashville, Tennessee, Chris Faust from Faust the Band. What's going on, Chris? How you doing? Hey, Jay, man, I'm I'm super pumped. Um, I'm having a wonderful time here in Nashville, and you know I'm super honored and excited to uh, be a part of your wonderful podcast. So thank you. Thank you for the compliment, man. I appreciate that. Um, you know, God, it's going on a year and a half that I've been doing this. And it started out as basically, as my son's getting older, I needed to develop a hobby because he was kind of developing his independence and decided to talk, you know, do a show on talking rock and roll because I've always enjoyed doing it. I've always enjoyed having a show like that. And here we are. It's kind of expanded. You know, we just jumped on to the Pantheon uh, platform of music podcasts, Pantheon Podcasts, which is a huge move for the show, and uh, you know, excited to to have that. Excited to have you on to talk about your EP and what's in store for 2021 with you guys. But uh, again, thank you very much for the compliment and thanks for for coming on. Absolutely. So we always start the show the same way every time we have a new guest. And those familiar with the show know what that is. And it's the essence of the podcast, just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance, that hooks you on rock and roll. What was it for you, Chris? Well, being a huge fan of your podcast, I had definitely thought about this. <laughs> Um, you know, I love getting to hear everyone's individual story. I know for me personally, um, both my parents were musicians. They both toured, did records. Um, they were both uh, session musicians. So I got to experience music at a very, very early age. But um, I think the moment where it really, really hit me hard um, and where I'm like, man, this is something that maybe I could do is I, I remember it vividly, like eight o'clock at night, maybe fifth grade. My mother is driving myself and my best friend uh, back home. He's going to crash, you know, for the night. And we've got, uh, this is mid nineties. So we've got a boom box in the back with a, you know, a tape player. And 
he's like, his name was Will. And he was like, Hey, I got this cassette from my dad. You've got to hear this. And it was Stevie Ray Vaughan's Texas Flood. And, you know, for whatever reason, I, 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 I knew who Stevie Ray Vaughan was. I'd heard that music before. I'd heard blues. You know, my dad was a jazz horn player. And he threw on Texas Flood. And I don't know what happened, but uh, it, it hit me so hard. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And that was the point when music pretty much became my life was like a very large part of my life. And I was like, okay, well now I have to start playing guitar. Uh, I have to, I have to learn how to play every blues record ever, ever made. And, and it's been doing this ever since, you know, it, uh, that was probably, I'd like to say I probably have a, a hook every, every four or five years where something gets me revamped and something gets me kind of like reignites that, you know, flame and kind of the same way that record did. But that was the first time that actually happened. And I will never forget it. <laughs> well, where'd it go from there? I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Texas Flood. I mean, that's a huge, huge album. And, you know, a very influential guitar player. Many feel he is the best outside of Hendrix and a few others. Outside of Stevie Ray Vaughan, where was your growth in music? Where did your journey continue? Uh, I went into the blues really, really deep. Um, my dad being a jazz horn player, um, he kind of saw my interest and he was like, well, you should probably listen to this. And so the next thing that he, you know, kind of threw in front of me was Albert King, you know, and his Cedar Ray Vaughan was heavily influenced by Albert King. Um, and then I, from Albert King, I kind of went into Buddy Guy and, you know, Buddy Guy is one of my all time favorites. Um, you know, I, I, one of the, the best showmen I've ever seen in my entire life. And, you know, I, I kind of went backwards, right? So I, I went into blues, uh, Albert King, Buddy Guy, uh, John Lee Hooker, um, Muddy Waters, Helen Wolf. And then I kind of circled back around and, you know, this was the mid nineties. So I'm like, Oh, well, then I heard Alice in Chains. You know, I, I you know, I, I went into this, you know, heavy grunge. I, I don't really particularly like that term, but you know, that, that heavy alternative stuff from the early nineties, that's what got my, you know, what hooked me next. Um, I heard them bones. I mean, in, you know, one of the best rock and roll album openers of all time, in my opinion, um, it, it, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is my next rabbit hole. So then it was Alice in Chains, Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, uh, Mud Honey, uh, you know, and, and I really, really have held on to that ever since. It's been a huge influence. That music that came out of the early mid nineties was a huge influence on me. And that is definitely something that I will never let go of <laughs> ever. So that was like my next foray into music was definitely the early mid nineties stuff. And you know, even to some extent Oasis, you know, like I, I love those first two Oasis records and people can say they're cliche, but, uh, you know, rock and roll star, um, supersonic. I, I love those records. Uh, you know, and that stuff definitely pushed me, um, to go even uh, the, the, the mid nineties stuff definitely pushed me to go deeper and even heavier. And then it was like, Oh, well, 
here's Metallica's Black album. And then I was like, cool, well, let me get into thrash for the next two or three years. And then the heavier stuff. Um, and, you know, two or three years later after that, I kind of rediscovered my mom's record collection. And yeah, I remember, you know, listening to Nick Perry's episode and Nick is a huge influence of mine. I discovered Silver Tide um, kind of by accident. And um, he's one of my all time favorite guitar players. And I, I followed him through his time in Shinedown and, you know, through Mount Holly. And I'm loving his new record. Um, but I have made this journey kind of like back around into more traditional rock music, but I, I fell into my mom's record collection and that record collection, you know, was definitely influenced in the mid seventies. So like bad company, ZZ top, Skinnerd, uh, fog hat, um, Edgar winter, uh, anything from the mid seventies. queen, huge queen fan. So, um, that's kind of been my musical journey up until recently, you know, and now I've just really been getting into, um, some kind of outside the box stuff. Like I was just listening to the new young blood record weird. And that's kind of like blowing my mind right now. So I'm kind of all over the place, man. Yeah. You know, I had a, a very early influence or very early, you know, incarnation of listening to the blues myself, you know, growing up in Chicago and, you know, obviously buddy guys, a huge presence here as it was muddy waters and, you know, I have some of the old Buddy buddy Guy Junior Wells albums that uh, are just absolutely in, incredible, you know, with those two, you know, Junior Wells singing and Buddy Guy, you know, on guitar. And no one bends a string like Buddy Guy. I think I've said that before. Um, you know, and plus his presence here, too, you know, with his club in the city. And, you know, I was also really into Otis Rush and Magic Sam, who I've mentioned before. You know, Magic Sam is just an incredible player, really bright with the, I think he plays a telly, um, but just uh, just two players that really were were influential to my musical journey, and also John Lee Hooker as well. Um, yeah, I can't say enough about the blues. The blues, to me, you know, was, was you know, my rock and roll journey is much different than, you know, my blues journey, you know, my blues journey was, I mean, you're hearing the blues in Chicago when you're in the womb and, um, you know, you come out and it's, it's, I mean, especially, you know, growing, you know, being born in the mid seventies and growing up in, in the early eighties, you know, a lot of your relatives, you know, are listening to the blues and you go to parties and you hear the blues and it's just, you know, it was a huge, huge part of growing up here. And it, it's not so much anymore, um, it doesn't have the presence that it that it once had, but um, it's still a you know incredible form of music. And anyone that just dismisses the blues as being oh it all sounds the same, you know they're not hearing the blues. They're not listening. You know they may well they may hear it, but they're not listening to it. And you know the, there's so many different ways to play. I mean I love Freddie. Freddie King is another one of my favorites. Um, I could do a whole show on the blues too as well. But um, yeah, just a big, you know, and then, you know, I'm kind of all over the place too. You know, we talk a lot about rock music here on The Hook because that's kind of, you know, where the focus is. But, you know, I love listening to stuff like Butch Walker and Pete Yorn and, you know, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank now, but um, Leona Ness 
is one of my favorite artists too as well. You know, singer-songwriter stuff. Um, I like all that variety. You know, my bass will always be rock and roll, but, you know, I, there's a lot of other things too that pull me off in the different directions, and those are some some of the things that do. And that's one thing that I think a lot of, uh, especially rock musicians, uh, well, I won't say not, maybe not professional rock musicians, but ones that are just getting started, you know, don't just listen to rock music. There is so much out there, and now you've got all these tools that you can listen to stuff immediately. I mean, you can ingest, you know, Bollywood music now, you know, if, if, if you want to incorporate stuff like that into your, to your music. It's just so easy, and um, luckily I was really pushed by my parents to listen to and, and appreciate all types of music. You know, being in Nashville, um, the country music is huge. It will always be huge here. And, um, yeah, I listen to a, a lot of country. There's a lot of bluegrass. I mean, you talk about some – I mean, there are some bluegrass banjo players that can – Rival Ingvae Malmsteen's speed, you know. So uh, there's definitely influences, and there's definitely things that everyone can take away from every type of music. One of my favorite bluegrass guys, um, he's got a little bit of a rock and roll edge to him too. Is Todd Snyder? Love. Oh my gosh, Todd Snyder. Oh, absolute beast, man! Absolute beast. He's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've thought about approaching him for the show. But I'm like, man, would my audience just, you know, <laughs> would it just go over their head, <laughs> go over their head and, and, and just not like the guy now? Because, I mean, it's traditional. I mean, it's mostly folk and it's got some humor to it. But it's also, you know, the humor has some meaning to it, right? It's got, it's way, it all ties together. Um, he's very, he's, he's a wonderful performer, wonderful songwriter. And just, yeah, like he's just a monster in, in, in bluegrass and just love his stuff. I've always loved his stuff. And, you know, everything from, you know, beer run to, um, statistician blues to all that stuff is just, you know, great, great, great performer. It's just fun. It's fun music, you know, and that's one thing, that's one reason why I love, uh, specifically, you know, eighties hard rock in, in eighties metal specifically for that reason. It is just fun music. Um, you know, another one of those, I know that they were kind of on the, on the rear end of the eighties and the end of the nineties. I think they formed in 89 and then their record came out in 90, but you know, I love slaughter. And one of, of those hooks, you know, another one of those hooks that happened is on Bill and Ted's bogus journey, the second Bill and Ted movie, it opened up with video of slaughters shouted out. I was like, this is the most fun thing I've ever heard in my life. And that kind of took me into the whole eighties and, you know, late seventies rock scene. And that music was just so much fun. And, uh, I think that that is kind of one thing that, you know, is, is missing a lot in rock music today is there's bands out there that are doing it like the struts, like, please give me the struts all day long. I mean, they're so fun. And, you know, they're on stage and they're having a good time. I love that. And I think that that's missing a lot in today's music. Well, I, I agree. You know, I mean, when you think about the struts, I also think of another band called Massive Wagons that has a huge, you know, a lot of energy in their music and a lot of fun with what they do. 
and you know the struts do as well i would always say you know those two bands if they ever toured together would just be you, you'd come out of that show dripping with sweat because it would just be just all this energy um in in a in a, in a theater that would just be incredible but you know, you, can we petition for that? Can we petition for that? Can we make that happen? I would love to see that. That would be that would be incredible, incredible show to 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 see. I mean, just so much energy, and I and both those bands would be trying to knock each other off the stage in terms of just you know show content each night, and you get the best of both worlds, and that's that's what you want. But you know, you, you bring up an interesting point, kind of tying the two comments that you made about fun and about listening to all different types of music, you know, and I, and I encourage, like you said, you know, for, for new artists, young people that are listening to listen to as much as you can, because if you're only listening to one genre of music, you're going to sound like everybody else. However, if you're taking things from the blues and from, you know, eighties rock and seventies rock and jazz and all this stuff, you have more layers in your plane. You have a lot more depth in your plane. You're not just, you know, a a product of, you know, a certain handful of bands. You know, I mean that gets that gets boring after a while if you sound the same. If you sound like something before you. However, the more you put in, you know, it's like you know when you're thinking about that coffee maker, and the more stuff you're putting in, you know, in the coffee maker, the more is going to drip out. Right, and you want it to taste different than someone else. And you know, one of the things about the '80s era is, you know, what gets lost with a lot of people is those guys were players for the most part. I mean, there were a few that were like, eh, you know, eh, not so good. But most of those guitar players, most of those musicians in those bands, get shunned. Because they were in those bands, but they are phenomenal. Shame. Yeah, and, and but they are phenomenal players. You know, when you think of you know guys, you know like Warren DeMartini or Tracy Guns. I mean, these are these are kick-ass, incredible guitar players that could play riffs that people that have come before them and genres that have come before them. I mean, there's a reason why. One of the issues that I have with a lot of the overproduced music in rock now, and you know, there is a lot of it. There's like two entities of rock. There's your there's your overproduced, you need to play to a track in a in a in a concert type of band. And then there's your raw, you know, down and dirty, you know, seventies, eighties influence that are playing it, that are playing it real, that are not using backing tracks, that are singing it, playing it live, and doing it the right way. You have to decide what you want to do. Do you want to be that overproduced band, or do you want to be, you know, the 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 bands that I think are going to offer the resurgence in rock and roll? So, oh, and, and you know, I think about when I started playing, and Todd, the drummer, uh, and you know the the other the co-conspirator in Faust. You know, we've been playing in bands together since 1999. I was 14 years old I guess and he was 18 and you know I know people like bash on millennials um, I'm a millennial but you know we got to sit in a very interesting time in history I remember life pre-internet I remember rotary phones I remember that annoying ass sound that modems used to make 
you know? Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, also what was different back then is how you made music and how you produced it and how you wrote it. Um, we sat in rooms for hours as a, as a band, all of us in a room, um, maybe the guitar player at that time, I wasn't playing guitar, I was just singing. The guitar player would come up with a riff, you know, and then Todd would lay a beat down and then the bass player would, would fly in underneath and then I'd kind of hum a melody and we'd, we'd knock out a song in, you know, sometimes a day, sometimes a week, but we were in there together and we were in there, you know, just jamming it out and it wasn't perfect. It wasn't supposed to be perfect. We weren't trying to be perfect. We were trying to make really loud, really fun, slightly offensive music. Um, and you know, it's times change. There's no way around it. It's just, you know, part of the game, part of life. Right. Um, and the way that we make music now is just so different, but you know, I think it was easier then to not overproduce yourself because it's really easy to overproduce yourself now with what comes stock in garage band or what comes stock in your, you know, in your iPhone. So, you know, kind of talking about how we recorded our EP, you know, I had a choice to either, okay, well, I'm going to let Todd play to a click the entire time. He's going to record this, his drum part to a dummy track okay, well now we're going to take a day to comp it, line up this kick drum on the grid. Okay, now we'll do the bass and then, then do the guitars, then do the vocals. And I had to make a choice, kind of like you said. I, so I decided to go another route. No, we're all going to play in a room together and you can hear it in the mix on the EP. There's a guitar on the left, there's a guitar on the right. The only thing that we really overdubbed were guitars. Uh, and just a little fun fact, the vocals on that EP were recorded. This is the one thing great about technology. And, <laughs> but I recorded those vocals on my iPhone, in my car, driving on my way to work. If you listen closely, you can hear speed bumps. But the way that I wrote that record, those lyrics, is this is how I'm feeling right now. I'm going to record it. And if I make mistakes, I make mistakes. But that's kind of the approach. But we had to... I had to like instinctually and, and kind of like lay down and submit, no, I am not going to overproduce this. No, I am going to play this record live. We'll play the song three or four times and we'll pick the best one. And then I'll, I'll, I'll sing to that one. So you're, I mean, you're totally right. You can, and I think there's a place for that overproduced stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it, I think there's, there's a place for it, but I think rock bands today kind of have to make that choice. Like you said. Yeah. I think that, you know, it all depends on, on on what you feel is right. I'm not going to, you know, denounce anyone for the path that they take and what they want to do, you know. Um, but like you said, you know, I like the more natural sound. I know when I go to a live concert, I don't expect to hear the perfect sound. When I do hear the perfect sound, you know, I'm I'm always a little weary because I'm like, that sounds too good. I mean, there's only a handful of bands that I've seen throughout the years that sounded just like the album. You know, Rush is one of those bands and Scorpions and, you know, there's a few others. But, you know, there's something about hearing the mistakes. You know, people like to get on Jimmy Page for being sloppy. I like the slop. The slop is rock and roll to me. Um, you know, I'd rather hear 
you know, a guitar player like Jimmy Page than someone that can play, you know, a million miles an hour and not make a mistake, but, you know, emotionally it doesn't hit me. You know, not to say that some of those guys don't hit me, you know, like I think of Jason Becker and guys like that that, you know, connect with me with their playing and their melodies. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, I I firmly believe right now that we are on the cusp of the greatest resurgence in rock and roll in two decades. Um, I firmly believe that. I, I The more and more I'm seeing the talent and the music and the new bands that are coming out there, or that are coming out, I think that it's top-notch talent. It is some of the best music that I've heard in years, and I'm, I'm excited for it. Oh, me too. You know, um, I think you have, you've actually said this on previous episodes where you're like, man, this is, while this sucks, this whole pandemic, there's just no way around it. It sucks. It's killing the music industry. But holy shit, is it prime for just some pissed off rock music, like loud I mean, I, I cannot wait to, to find out and hear what comes out of this. You know, uh, we're huge fans of um, of the UK rock scene, and we we have a playlist that we put out every you know every week or a couple of weeks where you add a new artist or two. But I'm just like so impressed with all this really awesome music that's being released, and I can't wait to see what happens afterwards. Because I think you're right. I think that. Uh, sure, 2020, I think, could have been an awesome year, but I think because of this pandemic, I think 2021 is going to be the most banging year for rock, hard rock, and metal that we've probably seen uh, probably since the early mid-90s. I think it's just so prime for just some really loud, pissed-off, awesome rock music. Well, I think it's it's the music, and it's also the next generation of the fan that is pissed off and looking for an, an outlet, looking for a release. And I've mentioned this, like you said, you know, the youth of America is where it's going to be at in terms of rock and roll. And, you know, gone are the days where a record could be a babysitter to a kid. A kid has so many different avenues to be distracted, you know, whether it's video games, whether it's, you know, extracurricular activities, all that stuff plays into it. You know, we didn't have a lot of those things. We didn't have travel sports. We didn't have, you know, parents having schedules for us. You know, our parents were at work during the day. We were at home in the summer and we were listening to music and, you know, playing stickball out in the street. You know, that's what we were doing or down at the park with our boombox playing music and everything, you know, everything revolved around listening to music, listening to rock music. And I think, you know, myself, who's the classic rock fan, and I've said this before, don't worry about me. You know, I'm going to be a fan of music. I'm going to be a fan of the new rock that's coming out. But if anyone's telling you, anyone uses a platform, if anyone's telling you that new rock sucks, it's time to just say you don't know what you're talking about because you're not listening. You know, don't base your opinion on because you listen to two Nickelback songs or you listen to, you know, a, a couple other bands, and that was your that that's how you determine that new music sucks because of what you heard eight, nine, ten years ago. It it's awesome, 
and stop comparing the bands to Van Halen and Led Zeppelin and all these other great bands. Those are legacy artists. Those are legends, right? No one, you know, no one's going to replace a legend, nor should we want them to replace a legend, but let the band stand on their own. And I think if people do, it will happen. But at the end of the day, those are classic rock fans. And stop paying attention to them. Stop worrying about appeasing them if you're a new band or a new artist. Don't worry about appeasing them. Find your audience with the youth of today. Because once a kid is a fan of your music, they will be a fan of your music for decades to come. You know, and it's it's interesting because there, there there's like this financial or like you know economic piece to to getting a few classic rock fans just because of, of like age and expendable income, which the pandemic may have also kind of you know even those odds a little bit, unfortunately. But listen to you know these are two records that I know I'm going to catch shit for on Twitter, but I really don't care. Um, uh, Machine Gun Kelly just released more or less like a pop uh, a pop punk record uh, Travis Barker's playing drums on it and this new Youngblood record these two guys who are pop artists one of them was a rapper uh, but they're they're more they're pop artists for, for a younger generation they're more rock stars than these two guys are, are more of rock stars than I've seen in a decade and it sucks because I think a lot of people you know I'm in my mid 30s now and I think people in their mid 30s and up are going to disregard this music because like you said, like maybe not eight years, but two years ago, Oh, machine gun Kelly was making a rap record. Like, yeah, but have you heard his new record? It's a rock record. You might not like it. It might not be your taste, but like, I think maybe in a year or two, people are going to look back and look at machine gun Kelly's uh, latest record, the tickets to my downfall and young bloods weird record. Like these are rock records. Yeah. There there's elements of pop, but, um, these are rock records. And I think that if you can get more people and then there's the whole Miley Cyrus thing that's going on right now, um, you know, with her kind of dipping her toe in rock music, I'm like, something's happening. There is a paradigm shift. And it's kind of reminiscent of what happened, I think in the fifties, right? Where, I mean, go look at, you know, American pop music in the fifties. It was just God awful. It was bland. It was vanilla, but, so was life, arguably. Um, and, you know, things start to change. You know, you start to get this period of, of, of downness, kind of like we got the, the pandemic, and you have this reaction. And that reaction is is, is R&B and, and, and soul and, and then on to rock and roll. You know, I think you're kind of, I, hopefully you're kind of getting that same thing now out of this pandemic and, kind of what's been going on in the world over the last, you know, five to 10 years that maybe things have been getting a little bland, you know, and I think it's time. And I think that those two records are, are, are definitely signals of, of there is a change coming, but, um, I love classic rock and I listen to classic rock daily. It is not all that I listen to, but nothing chased my ass more than when I hear people, like hardcore classic rock fans say, uh, you know, all that matters is Rush. All that matters is ACDC. And like, while they're both fantastic fans, there is so much more. And think about like all the cool things that they've influenced and go listen to that. Uh, there's just so much out there. And um, I mean, I agree with you a thousand percent that, yeah, don't, don't worry about the classic rock fan. Worry about 
the 13 year old right now? What are they listening to? Um, what are they doing? What platforms are they engaging on? And, you know, if you want to be successful in the future, you're going to have to meet your audience where they are. And that's the new audience. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that if you're a new artist and you're trying to connect, you need to find a way to get into, you know, video games, get your music on a video game. Cause guess what? Your kid, you know, a kid sitting in front of a screen playing whatever, and he hears your song, oh, this is a really cool song. Or maybe he doesn't like it the first time, but he's playing that game over and over again every day, and he hears your song every day he plays that video game, okay? That is way more effective than posting music on YouTube or on a streaming platform that maybe a 13 or 14-year-old doesn't really get into at that point, you know, maybe he's not really into the Spotify thing, but he's into his video games and he's hearing your song in that game that he plays every day, multiple times a day. And maybe he didn't like it the first time he heard it, but now because of it's, it's become familiar, he associates that song with that video game. And then three years later when he's out and he's finally got his driver's license and he's got his Spotify, you know, on his phone hooked up to his car and he's got it on just random. And then it plays that song. It's like, Oh wow. That's the song that was in the game that I played, you know, boom. That's how it happens. And, and I think you know, a lot of people have moments like that and they don't realize it, at least maybe like the older generation. But like, I remember vividly in between band rehearsals, um, our bass player would go up and play Madden for like 45 minutes. And I wasn't even playing the game. I was just, you know, like grabbing a beer in the kitchen. And I heard this, um, like, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is that? And I went in there. And so now I'm a huge fan of Airborne. And that was a decade ago. So, yeah. It works. <laughs> it does. And, you know, and those are the types of avenues that you got to be creative, you know, but again, you know, I, I know some bands get caught up into it, you know, trying to appease classic rock bands. But at the end of the day, we're not the demograph demographic that you need to connect with. Um, it's nice to have us, you know, it's nice for us to go to your shows and stuff. And I go to a lot of shows, but at the end of the day, find that connection with the youth, find that connection with, you know, the young people that are out there because everything does change and everything is cyclical. I, I think that I compare right now what is happening with rock music, which is to me very similar to the late 70s, early 80s, when you had a lot of singer-songwriters out there like Kenny Loggins and Christopher Cross and music be, kind of came very you know, formula and very, you know, dry and there wasn't really a lot of excitement with it. You know, Zeppelin was on the, you know, uh, you know, on the way out, obviously Bonham died, you know, Black Sabbath was, you know, needed, you know, to re be rejuvenized with Dio. And a lot of those bands from the early seventies were kind of petering out at the end of the decade. And, you know, then you have Van Halen, then you have ACDC, you have a shot in the arm with these two bands that were really, you know, the, the catalyst for what was to come. And I think that's happening again. And I, and I can't wait to see it grow and grow and grow. 
it's going to be huge. I'm so excited, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, I think so. I, 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 you know, every time, you know, I, I, I get introduced to a new band, I get more and more excited, and there's so much, you know, music out there. And speaking of which, you know, let's get back into to what you guys, you know, let's talk about, you know, the new music with you guys. Let's talk about the creative process with Faust. You know, tell us about the new album. How did that come about? How was that created? You know, what, um, you know, tell us, a, you know, a little bit about Revival. Absolutely. Um, so the core of Faust is myself and um, my drummer, Todd. Um, well, I'm his singer. I, I, if, he, if he pronounced it, I, I'm his singer. Um, and in a very much police kind of way. Um so Todd and I have been best friends since 1999, like 13, 14 years old. And that was our first band. And we have bounced back and forth between bands. Um, he's also been a business partner of mine as well. And, you know, him and I had a really, really awesome relationship. And our ability to write music together is, I think, incredibly special. I've never even come remotely close to having this type of back and forth with someone. And, you know, this is where the creative process starts is that, uh, for, for us is, and then I can get in a room and can probably bang out a song or two a day. If like, we just play really well off each other and we're really honest with each other. It's absolutely hilarious. Cause he can just be like, bro, don't ever sing that again. I'm like, okay, okay. I get it. I'm not going to get offended. That's just how we work. We've been able to kind of hone in, and get really effective with our writing process through our honesty. And, you know, we had a band uh, that did pretty well. Uh, we were in a band called Blackwater James, and uh, we did a full-length album, an EP, and then a single. And we did pretty good. We ended up in Classic Rock Magazine. We ended up in Black Velvet. We got to do some really cool shows with, like, Queensryche and the guys from Rat. Uh, we even did a gig with Striper a few times. That was a lot of fun. Cool guys. Um, but um, after that band disbanded, um, he moved out west. I stayed here. And then like a year or two later, we got to talk and again, like, man, I really miss playing music. And so he moved back to town and we immediately got together. Like, dude, let's, let's get together. So we got to uh, spend a day in our friend, Chris Utley, who is a local and amazing producer, he actually produced the EP for Blackwater James called Volume One. He had a chance to check that out. Um, he produced that for us, but he's an incredible bass player. And we just went in the studio and we set up the the the, the gear all in the same room together. You know, and Chris was just controlling the the Pro Tools rig from where he was sitting. And I was like, "Hey guys, I got these songs that I've just." I've kind of been hanging on to for a while and I'd love to just lay them down and see how they feel. And that was the entirety of the revival record aside from the last song on the track, please, or last track on the EP, please. Um, all the rest were recorded and there's probably five or six other tunes. I don't know if I'll release them. Maybe I will, but um, we just recorded them and tracked them live and I took them uh, mixed them down right there to a stereo track, threw them on my iPhone and started writing. It just caught me. I, 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 they, they felt good. The music felt right. Um, 
and I just kind of channeled what I was going through at the, the time over maybe like a three month or two month period and recorded these tracks on the way to work and back home, you know, on my iPhone. So that's what you're hearing. The vocals are me on an iPhone through like the, the headset. And I'm like, okay, well, we got these tunes finished. Um, let's just release the single, the fountain and we'll put please on it, kind of balance it out and just see how, how it fares. And we sent it out to some friends that, you know, that had helped with Blackwater James and they dug it. They were like, this is great stuff. Just put it out. And the response was really, really awesome. I think we got like in the first week that we released the fountain, we got like, I think now close to like 50 or 60, uh, station ads um, for the single, and we were just blown away. We're like, oh man, let's just do this. Let's just let's just you know get the whole band thing back together, and let's just make this happen. And and we did, and we put the EP together. We released it, and things are going great. So now we're we're finishing up uh, an acoustic EP, and we're actually nine songs deep into. Uh, a full length album that we'll release next year. Um, so uh, kind of one thing to note too, is that Todd and I, uh, we also have a marketing background. Um, you know, I, I I'm a, I'm a web designer, graphic designer and, a um, uh, video producer and, and Todd does podcasts and is a wonderful video producer as well. Um, but we, we do a lot of marketing and, you know, this time around, um, because we've been in so many bands together this time around, we're taking a very business oriented approach to the business. We're kind of separating the creative piece in the business piece. And I know that doesn't sound very sexy, but I think that if it's one thing that I could have gone back and done differently. And I think if you ask a lot of artists, especially a lot of major artists, if they'd have known the business, earlier on they would have done things very different and so that's what we're doing with this is we're taking a very business oriented approach from the business side because the creative piece we got we're a band we're musicians like that piece is taken care of that's just you know we're gonna get in a room and bang it out and that that's its own you know microcosm but the business piece we're taking a different approach this time and you know we're trying to do things what we think is the right way and do things that we want to do. And, you know, we can't wait to get to play live again. It's been, it's been too long and Nashville's been hit so hard. Uh, I mean, live shows have sort of come back, but I, I, I can, it's only a matter of time until they're done again. Um, so we're ready to get out there and play in 2021. That's where Todd and I thrive. You know, it's Todd and I have always had this thing on stage where I'm kind of the front man. So, yeah, like, look at me, look at me. But Todd's the drummer, and Todd's also like, no, 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 look at me, look at me. So we have a really fun back and forth about, you know, both of us want the attention on stage. So it makes for a really fun show. At least we think so. But, yeah, so um, I was kind of off topic, but that's kind of how we kind of came into this whole thing and kind of where we're going. It's been really organic and fluid, and we're just taking a different approach this time around. It's interesting. You know, one of the things that you said, you know, at the very beginning was, you know, the honesty that you have with each other when you're making music. You know, what doesn't sound right, you know, will be, 
you know, forgotten or not put in. And I think that's so crucial with, with bands right now because, you know, gone are the days where you had an A&R guy tell you, you know, what the song needed and to make it better. And a lot of bands are relying on themselves, their own ear, or people around them to kind of give them feedback. And what happens in a lot of those cases is that people are not, people don't have honest people around them or they don't want the guy in the room that goes, that sucks, that, you know, that doesn't sound good because maybe they're too fragile to hear it or maybe they don't want to hear it. But my point is, is that you need someone in the room to tell you that, nah, maybe that's not good enough. Man, that, that just should be better. That doesn't happen a lot. And you can always tell when a band doesn't have that, unfortunately. I mean, it is an absolutely crucial skill that we've learned the hard way. You know, I think that uh, our writing process, I, mean, I think a lot of people don't have that. You know, the, uh, and whether that's an internal issue in there. I mean, a lot of people are, and especially artists, they're sensitive. I mean, we're sensitive too, um, uh, on some levels. But um, I don't know. It just makes everything so much more efficient when you've got someone on your team that can be, hey, man, that's awful. We should never, ever play that again. Let's move on to the next idea. And then if that idea sucks, I'll let you know. And gosh, it just makes things so much more Easier. You don't have to beat around the bush with stuff. Um, I'm not worried that Todd's going to quit the band. You know, he's not worried that I'm going to quit the band. And it's a really organic process. And I think that it's it, it's it's almost it, it needs to be a crucial point, especially now. Like you said, there are no A and R. And I mean, I really do wish. I think it's one of the biggest things missing in the music business now is artist development, like true artist development. Um. Because I think that was an incredibly uh, fruitful endeavor. You know, I mean, like what Motown did for artist development. And uh, it's a thing that a lot of people don't talk about, but it doesn't exist anymore. The artist development now is just being like thrown to the wolves. Um, and a lot of young artists get thrown to the wolves and they just lose it. I've seen it so many times here in Nashville, like especially with country singers. They get one bad review and they self-sabotage their career. Um, I mean... I've gotten so many bad reviews. One time I got called uh, a neutered Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age. I'm still trying to figure out if that was a bad thing or a good thing, but you just got to laugh at that stuff. Um, you got you to learn to just disregard, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I think Getty Lee was once called uh, like a hamster in a, in a dryer, a laundromat dryer. Um, that's what he sounded like, you know? <laughs> And but 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 people what new bands need to realize is number one, this business is not for the thin skinned. Okay. You 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 will not last long if you are if you are have a fragile ego and if you can't take criticism. Number two, all the greats that inspired you as an artist to move forward in a musical journey and, and to become and to make music all struggled. Okay, there's there there are not many bands in the history of rock music that could record an album, hand it to a record company, and what they handed to the record company would what be would what be, would be the final release. Okay, not many, maybe two handfuls of bands in the history of rock music 
had that luxury where they could just ship the record off to the record company. The record company would package it and send it out for distribution. That means like most of the bands that that influenced you would turn in their record to the record company. They would say, yeah, six of these songs need to be reworked. We don't want you to put song number seven on the album. You need to come up with something else. That is reality for 95% of the artists that are out there. Okay. So don't think that the artists that you listen to, whether it's even Taylor Swift, if you're a country artist, or if it's whomever, they didn't have carte blanche to just record their music and just turn in and that would be it. No way. No way. I mean, one of the albums that I know for a fact got pushed back several times was the album Crush by Bon Jovi, the album with It's My Life. Island Records sent that back to Bon Jovi two or three times. And, of course, Bon Jovi was pissed. But it ended up being one of their biggest albums of all time. It ended up being the catalyst of their resurgence for decades to come. So these guys do know something. So back to the point of having someone in the room, you need to have someone in the room that you trust, realize that it's not personal, but it's making your music better. If you have someone in the room that you trust, they can tell you, yeah, that doesn't sound right. You guys should probably not put that song on the record. It's not ready yet. I don't know how many times I've listened to music or music's been sent to me that hasn't, that's not ready, that still needs a couple, a few more turns in the oven, you know? It, it, it's just not yeah. ready. And, and, and that's what I think young artists need to realize. It's not a knock against you. It doesn't mean your music ba- is bad. It just means it's not ready. You need to work harder at it. You know, you mentioned the first part. You know, you said that this is this is not a, an industry or a thing to do if you've got thin skin. And A, could not agree more. But the struggle part of it, now I'm not saying be a starving artist. That that I, I think that's a crap mantra. Um, I think that but you embrace that struggle. Like um, uh, a, 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 an acquaintance of mine, and he was a, a coworker at one point, uh, Kevin Bebout, the bass player for a Full Devil Jacket. Um, he was with Kramer Guitars for a little while, and I was endorsed by Kramer at the time. And I was having one of those like salad days where I was like having an unnecessary pity party, like this just sucks. I'm not, you know, no one likes my music. I'm just going to give this up. I'm awful. Like this is all these odds are stacked against me, blah, blah, blah. And he just looked at me and he goes, man, if it was easy, everybody would do it. You know? Exactly. And I know that, and for whatever, I mean, that just completely switched my, my mindset. Now there's things that you can do, like you can work smarter and not harder. You can do things that can help your career. I think the majority of musicians and bands do a lot more damage than good to their careers. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's a struggle, but the struggle makes for better songwriting later on anyway. So just embrace that struggle, um, and, and go for it. Uh, I mean, I've gone for it six times now, you know, and it's been ups and downs and I don't see, I'm, I'm not going to stop whether it's, whether it turns into a hobby, you know, in, in 50 years or, you know, next year we get picked up by a major. Like 
that doesn't mean you stop. Like the struggle is always going to be there and the struggle makes for good stories later on. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, even today, I mean, I know there are young bands out there that want that record deal. You don't need a record deal to be successful in this in this business. You know, I think of a band like Blackberry Smoke. I don't think Blackberry Smoke is on a major record label. I think they're either they I think they they do it themselves or on a or they're on an independent. But they tour and and they you know they're damn successful at what they do. Um, Dirty Honey, I don't think they've even signed a record deal yet. I think they're still independent. They don't need they don't need a record label. You don't necessarily need a record uh, company to to determine yourself as as, as successful. Now it could it certainly helps in certain avenues, but if you establish yourself as an artist and you know you're doing well and that money comes directly to you you know why just why not you know you can you can tour successfully you may not you know the the one thing too about a, a lot of young artists that are getting into this business and are and are are becoming you know bands and in you know recording music you know if you're thinking of you're going to have a house on the hill in California and you know, you're going to have Ferraris out in front and you're going to have these huge houses. I hope that does happen for you. I hope it does. The likelihood is it's not. Just the way the music business is is set up now, you know? You know, you don't get paid a lot for the music that you, you know, produce in terms of streaming services and, you know, on YouTube. You have to tour. You have to tour to make money. And, you know, the more you tour, the bigger audience you grow. And again, that keeps keeps turning into, you know, more, you know, revenue for you. But you have to have those avenues where people can hear your music and be familiar, like we talked about commercials, video games, all that stuff. At the end of the you know, day, you, sorry, go ahead. Well, uh, to, you know, you mentioned that. Yeah, it's you, you do this because you love it, right? You do music because you love it. If you want a payday, go be go be a lawyer, go be a doctor. Um, and I mean that with all sincerity, right? My mom uh, is an incredibly talented singer, and she had three or four top twenty country hits in the mid '80s. And all I gotta say is, is that we ate every meal. Like we had food on the table, but sometimes that table, that that table, <laughs> all that food on the table was we ate a lot of pancakes and a lot of popcorn. You know, like so just because you've got top 10 records does not mean that you're pulling in bank. I think a lot of people go into those major label deals um, and they get excited. I get it. Like if, if I was 18 years old and somebody handed me, you know, a quarter of a million dollars and said, Hey, here you go. I'll, I'll have your next four records, please. Or six records, whatever the, the terms are. And here's the thing is that there's benefits and some incredible benefits to major labels. And, I mean, you know, you've got this machine, this mechanism to get your music to everyone immediately. Now, that doesn't always happen. It's for every artist. Sometimes you can get shelved. Um, but they've got a really nice mechanism set up to get your music out and to a lot of people quickly. So, you know, you could sign a major label deal for maybe a one or two album cycle, you know, termed contract. 
and then realize like, okay, well now you've got your, you might not have own any of your masters for the rest of your life for your first, you know, two records, but you've got this really firm fan base that that record label may have helped you secure. Um, you know, then you go into the whole 360 deal issue and, but I mean, th- there are benefits there, but for the first time, or not the first time, but you know, now you don't need a record label. You don't, but you have to redefine what success is. You know, yeah. long gone are the days where, re- where people are going to sell, you know, we're not going to, I don't think we're going to have another hysteria, you know, where, what does it sell? Like 10 million records or something, or 10 million copies. Like that's not success anymore. Success is, Hey, maybe if I can sell 10,000 copies of this record and get, you know, X hundred thousand streams over the course of X amount of time, uh, that the, the, how you define success in this industry has to be shifted. I think it's a little bit easier for younger kids coming in because I still have the, the VH1 behind the music, you know, viewpoint of, of what success is in the music industry. Um, and I keep going back to Def Leppard for that. I'm like, oh yeah, that's success. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen again. So you just have to redefine what that means and set some solid goals for yourself if you're a new artist, but make the goals attainable, you know? And then once you meet those goals, set some new ones and just keep inching forward because you'll get there. But, you know, what there is 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 very different from what it used to be. Yeah, I mean, if you can define your success, I mean, if you can make as much money you know, to support yourself, pay your bills, not have to worry about anything, you know, your success, you're making music, you're doing what you love. That's successful. You know, I mean, do you have, you know, the, the houses all over the planet? No, but you're making a living and you're, and you're comfortable and and you're, and you're, you know, doing something that you love. And it's very true to what you said, you know, defining success is really kind of how, you know, you keep climbing in this industry, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people in Nashville that you've never heard of that are musicians that make a great living, you know, make a, make a good living in, in, in the music business that you never heard of. And they do what they love. They're studio musicians They're They work in studios. They do this, they do that. They're, they're doing well. You know, um, there's a lot of bands out there that tour, you know, a lot of independent artists that, you know, Maybe only make, you know, 70 to 100 grand a year. But you're making music and you're and you got a roof over your head, you got food on the table and and you're doing what you love. So always kind of keep perspective as to what success is for you. 100%, man. Could not agree more. And you know, playing music at 30, 40,000 dollars a year is way more fun than sitting in a cubicle. <laughs> 10 hours a day and because I've done both um, so yeah it, it, it's way more fun and the thing is is you got to learn to evolve you got to learn to you know your career is going to evolve your taste in music is going to be evolve and don't be afraid to embrace that I mean ACDC aside and I love ACDC to death but ACDC aside look at all of like the huge legendary bands I mean from like Fleetwood Mac Aerosmith Prince I'll even throw Madonna in there. They were able to evolve and stay relevant, both from a business perspective, but also from a stylistic perspective, because they embrace change. And kind of what I'm saying to get out of this is the change is okay. Don't be afraid to, to, to make changes and 
uh, see yourself, your band, you know, and your music business kind of evolve. I agree 100%. Chris, it's been a blast. The discussion's been awesome. I really do appreciate it. Um, why don't you tell everybody where they can get your album and where they can find you on the internet? Absolutely. You can find us um, at faustband.com. And we wanted to make it real simple to find us on all social media platforms. So it's at faustband for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, I am a huge fan of Twitter. So uh, I'm always down for a solid music conversation or, uh, or boxing or scotch. So if you want to hit me up on Twitter, uh, at faustband. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Chris Faust from Faust. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Hook Rocks. You can now find us on the Pantheon platform for music podcasts, Pantheon Podcasts. We're just starting our relationship there. Thank you again for listening, everybody. Thank you again, Chris, for being on the show. Stay strong, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.